fans of Interactive Narrative, and welcome to the first half episode of Pick Your Path. Uh, now what we're going to be doing here today is uh, presenting you with the sort of ultimate good ending to the first story. We're doing this about halfway through every month. It's going to be one branch of the story that you had heard previously that is the sort of canonical, ultimate, good branch. This is the, the, the main ending, if you will, of the story. Um, if we were to ever do a sequel, not that that's something that we've even talked about, this would be the branch that the sequel is based off of. Uh, you get it. This is the main branch. And something I forgot to mention in the intro to the proper episode is that Pick Your Path is a seasonal show. Um, we're going to be doing one a month for six months, and then we're going to take a break and come back with season two. This is because the show is incredibly time-consuming to edit, and we simply cannot keep this up indefinitely. So we're going to take a break after six recharge, get ready, and come back with an awesome season two uh, of another six episodes at some point later in the future. We will have more definite dates to come. Uh, thank you for listening. Once again, uh, our theme song is by Christopher Wrigley of Bunhouse Jingles. You can find more of his work at customjingles.net and commission some of your own. Our artwork uh, is by Wayne Jansen. You can find his stuff at waynejansenart.com. Uh, and I hope you enjoy this uh, main branch. It's good for listening to while driving because you don't have to mess around picking chapters this time. The morning sun shines through your window as you stretch back and relax into the couch. The possibilities of your day unfold in front of you, totally unfettered by responsibility. Nobody needs anything from you. There's nothing you're supposed to do. Your day is completely yours to commit to whatever blissful, frivolous activity you choose and you know just how to start plug in your headphones launch the podcast app and slide your finger across the screen until it lands on your favorite show savoring the ritual you close your eyes and get ready for the dulcet tones of the narrator to take you away to another world for the next 25 minutes you're interrupted by an incoming call unknown caller at the exact same moment, you hear a knock at the door. Who's there? You call out. No answer. Can't the world just leave you in peace? After a moment, it occurs to you that the person at the door probably didn't hear you say, Who's there? They didn't say anything. Yes, they definitely didn't hear you. And of course, the person on the phone doesn't know you're there either. It further occurs to you that if you stayed completely quiet, your phone would stop buzzing and the person at the door would walk away. You could just go about your day. If you answer the phone, skip to chapter 3. If you answer the door, skip to chapter 4. If you ignore both, skip to chapter 2. Chapter 4 
Don't answer your phone, says the man on the other side of the door as soon as you open it. He wears an expensive suit. He's good looking, but not memorable. The kind of guy who could charm a room full of people, then be forgotten as soon as he left. Who, you say? Jack Fitz, I'm with the FBY, he explains. Or were you going to ask who was on the phone? That'd be George Clooney. He's with Interchronological Enforcement, ICE for short. He wants you to destroy the time machine your neighbor in the old house across the street has just invented. Uh? You manage? Yes, a time machine. I'm from the future, so is he. The man interrupts. You'll need proof? Here's footage from the first episode of the original Bainbridge County. He holds his hands wide over his head. And images appear. It's as if footage is being protected onto the air. It is indeed the first episode of your favorite show, Bainbridge County. But that can't be. BVN, the network that developed the show, had a policy of reusing tape to save money. The whole first season and parts of the second are lost through time. No one's seen any of it since 1952. He stops the show. You see, the FBY feels that, as citizens of a time-traveling age, it's our sacred duty to use this technology to save as many lives as possible, he explains. We could prevent wars, cure the plague, evacuate hurricane zones. You hear the sound of thunder, which is odd because it's totally sunny out. That wasn't thunder, by the way, he says as if reading your mind. That's the noise your neighbor's time machine makes when it's used. You take a second to think. It's a little hard to process. That old house always did seem strange to you. Totally out of place in the neighborhood. You decide to play along for the moment, even if you're not sure whether or not you believe him. You said the guy on the phone wants me to destroy the time machine? You say. Well, what do you want me to do? I want you to give it to us. If you go to the old house to find the time machine, skip to chapter 12. If you refuse, skip to chapter 11. If you ask questions, skip to chapter 13. Chapter 13 You said you were with the FBI? You ask. No, the FBY. That's the foundation for a better yesterday, he answers. And the FBY doesn't have anyone more qualified than some random stranger to do this for you? You wonder aloud. Why not do it yourself, even? And if you came here from the future, wouldn't you already have a time machine? Why do you need this one? Believe me, there are so many people so much more qualified than you for this job. You were far from our first choice, he assures you. Oh, well, that stings a little, you say. We believe in total honesty. The man on your phone represents a group called Interchronological Enforcement, as I mentioned. They chose you. Not having a time machine of our own, we piggybacked on their signal. Okay, you don't have a time machine, but you're here now, so why don't you just steal it yourself? I'm not actually here. This, he gestures towards his body, is a hologram. Well, how did you knock on my door? You say. He opens his mouth and emits a perfectly realistic knocking sound. I have a sound effects board, he explains. You're not convinced. You test the claim by reaching out to touch his chest. Your hand passes right through. Hmph, he says indignantly. 
Some people think it's rude to put your hand through a man's hologram without asking, you know. Oh, uh, sorry. You awkwardly apologize? I'll forgive you if you steal us a time machine. If you go to the old house to find the time machine, skip to chapter 12. If you refuse, skip to chapter 11. If you still have more questions, skip to chapter 14. Chapter 12 I'll do it. The words echo in your head as you approach the old house. Go upstairs, find the time machine, go to May 3rd, 3577. Simple, right? You pause on the sidewalk outside your neighbor's house. You'd always wondered about this place, even before you moved in across the street. It's a known oddity in town, this grand home in the middle of a city that practically doesn't have any buildings built before 1980. You seem to remember someone once telling you that it once been part of a huge property that was continually sold off until this was all that was left. It's still quite impressive, with its spires towering over the rest of the neighborhood and the big oak trees growing in what remains of the yard. Of course, this is where the time machine would be. If you had to describe this house with a single phrase, it would be out of time. You get closer and notice a padlocked basement door. You hadn't really considered how you were going to get in. Were you planning on breaking in? After all, you're certain the inventor of this machine wasn't going to let some stranger do what they will with it because they asked politely. So what is your plan? If you go to the front door, skip to chapter 18. If you go to the basement door, skip to chapter 16. Chapter 18. You walk toward the front door. The direct approach is always the best approach. Maybe you could convince the inventor to see your side of things. The door is ornately carved and beautiful. In front of the door sits a novelty doormat. In big letters it says, Schrodinger's Mat. And under that, knock or walk and split the world in two. You hear a loud disturbance from inside the house. It almost sounds like a thunderclap. You raise your hand to knock and notice the door is slightly ajar. If you knock, skip to chapter 19. If you enter without knocking, skip to chapter 96. Chapter 96 You push open the door and wander into the house. You hear shuffling in a far-off room. You move toward the noise. You pass through a hallway lined with portraits of five generations of what you assume are your neighbor's ancestors. Leopold Oberchuk, Bartholomew Oberchuk, Nathaniel Oberchuk, and so on. You arrive at the source of the noise, and peek your head into the room. It's the study. It's very unkempt. It appears to be the only room that's actually lived in. Inside, your neighbor, Oberchuk, is walking excitedly in circles. He looks like he's in his late 50s, but still good in a fight, like he used to be a wrestler or something. He's bald, with long hair on the sides. What a curious turn of events, he ponders aloud. I must add lilacs to the do not disturb list. The anachronistic death of even one plant could. He notices you and stops. He grabs you by the shoulders and pulls you into the room. You now see a large map taking up one whole wall describing the events of human history, past, present, and future. Who are you? He spits. No uniform, by yourself. You're not with ice. Look of recognition on your face shows you know what this map means. So you're not some neighborhood rapscallion that's just wandered into my house. He pauses to think. I've got it. You're from the future. 
You're my first historian. Not exactly, you correct. He's not paying attention. His face swims with pride at the thought of a future historian paying him a visit. The face turns to a frown when he hears his front door being kicked in. Someone is raiding the house. Ice! He gasps. They finally decided to break their own rules and destroy my creation. Quick, we have to get out of here. How? You ask. With the time machine. If you flee with Oberchuk, skip to chapter 97. If you flee without him, skip to chapter 98. Chapter 97 Overchuck gives a quick explanation of how the time machine works. First, when you make the trip, the time machine doesn't come with you. This is a safety measure to ensure that if you die outside your home time, the machine doesn't get left unsupervised. Oberchuk has a remote control coded to his fingerprint that allows him and only him to access the machine even when he's separated from it, by millions of years even. If necessary, you can take the time machine with you by physically holding it. He admits that this is a design flaw that makes the safety feature basically useless. He's hoping to eliminate that problem with the Mark III, but he hasn't quite worked it out yet. Finally, he explains that in order for you both to use the time machine, you both have to grab hold of it. It's only then, when he gestures toward it, that you realize the time machine has been sitting on the desk next to you this entire time. It's a metal box about the size of a loaf of bread, with Mark II written on the side. You put your hands on the box, just as the men raiding the house enter the study. Oberchuk hastily presses some buttons on the remote. You both vanish with the sound of a large thunderclap. Skip to chapter 110. Chapter 110. You arrive at the destination Oberchuk selected. You look around and see everything that sci-fi movies promised you about the future. Flying cars, human-sized pneumatic tubes. You even see a kid skate by on a hoverboard. You and Oberchuk each hold the time machine with one hand. He turns sharply to you. Now that we're safe... Who are you? He demands. Um, I'm a visitor from the future, you mumble. Stranded in this strange, far-off time, you think it's probably best not to make the only person who can get you home angry. Hmm. Try again, he says. You stare back at him dumbly. He starts again. Before my home was raided, you said, Not exactly, as in, I am not exactly a visitor from the future. So, who are you, exactly? You crack. I live in the house across the street from you. This morning, the FBI called me, and they told me to steal your time machine. Well, why didn't you? You had the chance could have taken off with it right after I explained how it worked. He asks. The conversation is halted by a pair of street tufts. One has two-foot orange spikes jutting out of his head. You think it might be hair, but you're not sure. The other has eyes on stalks, like a snail. He is equally as slimy looking. Both wear leather armor with nonsense words graffitied on them. Give us everything you have on you, or we use this, warns the one with the spikes. He wields an amorphous purple blob threateningly. 
Uh, what will that thing do to us? You whisper? I don't know. I'm not too familiar with this time period. Oberchuck replies. Then why did you bring us here? I didn't exactly have time to plan this trip, you know. If your buddies at the FBY hadn't broken my door down... I thought you said that was ice. I don't know who it was anymore. Shut up and give us the box, old man. Screeches the young man with the ice stocks. They're getting impatient. Something has to happen soon. If you attempt to disarm the thugs, skip to chapter 80. If you try to comply, skip to chapter 111. Chapter 111 uh, The box, says Oberchuck. Would you rather have my wallet? The old man calmly and carefully reaches into his coat pocket and presses a button on the remote. With a sound of a thunderclap, you disappear away from the trouble. You reappear in a forest. Where are we now? You ask. I don't know. I hit a random button. Oberchuck replies. He fiddles with the remote. You look around. There's a strange uniform quality to the forest. All the trees look the same. Until an arrow whizzes by, just inches above your head, depositing itself in the nearest trunk. Uh, hey, Dr. Oberchuck. You squeak. You think we can get out of here? It's Mr. Oberchuck, actually. He corrects. I've never finished school. Short-sighted ignoramuses wouldn't know real science if it... Another arrow passes right in front of his eyes. He looks out into the distance. Hello! He shouts. We mean you no harm. Just get us out of here. You plead. Something's interfering with the remote. I think we're in a hollow room. He says. Suddenly, a giant centaur-like beast emerges from the wood, trampling trees in its path. It's got the legs and body of an elephant, a proportionally large gorilla torso, and a ferocious tiger head. It rears up on its hind legs, ready to stamp, then falls harmlessly to the side with an arrow in its head. It flickers a few times, then disappears. Big yellow numbers and letters appear in midair. They read, 1000 XP. A pointy-eared man in a green tunic runs through the numbers, and they burst with a satisfying pop. Wielding his bow and arrow, he breathes deep and speaks from his diaphragm, like he's performing. Worry not, wary gentlemen, I'm here to rescue... Wait, these are not period-appropriate clothes. Computer and simulation! Everything around you fades away. The forest is replaced with a large, totally featureless room. All that remains is you, Mr. Oberchuck, the stranger, and his bow and arrow. He looks at you with shock. Uh, computer, activate alarms, we have intruders in the hollow room. He shouts. Who are you? I'm a level 80 ranger, so you better hope I like your answer. He punctuates this statement by drawing an arrow and aiming it directly at your face. Now free of interference from the hollow generator, Oberchuck activates the time machine. At the same time, you put your hands up, slamming the device into his shoulder just as you both disappear. There's no thunderclap this time, or rather there was, but you couldn't hear it. The time machine has deposited you and its inventor into the cold void of space. Mr. Oberchuck instinctively drops the remote to grab his shoulder. 
it floats away from you. If science fiction movies are to be believed, you have about 30 seconds to get that remote and get to somewhere safe. With nothing else on which to gain traction, the only way to move toward the remote is for one of you to push the other. If you push Mr. Overchuck towards the remote, skip to chapter 112. If you use Mr. Overchuck to launch yourself toward the remote, skip to chapter 82. Chapter 112 You move yourself into position to push Mr. Overchuck toward the remote, but he's one step ahead of you. He takes your free hand and places it on the time machine. He motions for you to hold on to it, then gives you a hard shove, propelling himself toward the remote. He reaches it, presses a few buttons, and then he's gone. You sure he's coming back for you? He's gotta be, right? You look at the nothingness around you. The closest object, as far as you can tell, is a star that looks like a slightly bigger little speck than all the other little specks. He wouldn't just leave you here, you're certain. Skip to chapter 113. Chapter 113. You don't know how much longer you can hold the air in your lungs. Optimistically, you'd say that you have maybe 10 seconds if you don't freeze first. Your vision clouds. One by one, the little specks disappear until the blackness consumes you. You hear the life-saving sound of a thunderclap. It was buried under an uproarious audience applause, but it was there. Your head is pounding. All you can see is a white blur. Oh man, where am I? You ask the blur. It answers with Mr. Oberchuck's voice. We're at a wrestling show. Muscle Explosion 4, to be specific. 1986 at the Meat Burger Dome. It's safe, and it's too public for any of your cronies to come pick us up. Shapes take focus in front of your eyes. You see the ring now. A man in red tights with flowing blonde hair lifts a man with Canadian flag tights onto his powerful shoulders and throws him roughly to the floor. Tell me exactly what happened to you this morning, Mr. Oberchuck commands. I need to know what the FBY is planning with my time machine. They have no respect for the sanctity of history and I fear for what they would do. Okay, I was sitting in my living room, then my phone buzzed, and there was someone at the door. I answered the door, it was the FBY. They told me not to answer the phone and that I needed to go across the street and steal your time machine for them. They said they were trying to save lives. You recount. Who is on the phone? He asked. I didn't answer, but the man at the door said it was from ICE. You answer? Mr. Oberchuck gasps. We have to get back to my house and grab the time machine. Wait, why? What's going on? You stumble. Don't you see? He yells. I set you up. The man at your door must have been a hologram. The FBY don't have a time machine of their own, so they would have had to have piggybacked on the phone call. There's no way ICE wouldn't have noticed that, so they let it happen. That way, you steal the time machine, commit time crimes, and finally have the evidence they need to destroy my work. We have to get back to the house to stop them. But the time machine is right here, it's safe. 
The Mark II is here. He points to the lettering on the box. The Mark I is sitting in my basement. The Mark III is in my bedroom. The Mark I is a crude device. The Mark III is only a prototype. If either were destroyed improperly, the consequences could be disastrous. We have to leave now. By ourselves? It sounded like they had a whole team with them. Your reason? Mm, you've got a point. Well, we'll have to put together a team of our own. I'll need to call in some favors. Okay, before we go, I have two questions. Why did you come to my house, and why didn't you steal the time machine like you were told? I might be fool enough to want to risk destroying the universe by traveling through time, but I'm not such a fool to let anyone who shows up at my doorstep do the same. Ah, I think I might like you. Skip to chapter 114. Chapter 114. You appear back in Mr. Oprachuk's study. You panic and brace yourself for a fight with ice. It doesn't come. I don't understand. Where are the people that were raiding the house? You ask. I took us back one week from today. Oh, if I remember correctly, we should have a few minutes before my past self returns from his, uh, uh, rather my trip to ancient Saskatchewan. He explains. Great, so we just take the time machines and leave. That way we're not here when the bad guys get here, right? You say. Paradox, he warns sternly. Yeah, but... You counter. Paradox, he insists. They were probably coming to this room looking for the Mark III. They were probably coming into this room looking for the Mark II. Luckily, that's with us. But they still might find the others. I'm going to make some alterations so that if it falls into their hands, the results will only be horrific, not catastrophic. How reassuring. You mutter. Overchuck runs for the door. On his way out, he says, Look in that filing cabinet over there. He points to the back corner of the room. You'll find files on people we can depend on. People that are hip to how time travel should work. What does that mean? You wonder. They'll help us fight. Just get the files. You approach the file cabinet. There are three drawers. The top is open already and empty. If you pick files from the middle drawer, skip to chapter 115. If you pick files from the bottom drawer, skip to chapter 116. Chapter 116. You open the bottom drawer. It's empty, but for a single manila folder. Inside you find three pieces of paper, each with a picture and a list of relevant information. The pictures show a woman in a tight jumpsuit and heavy makeup, a man in spandex and a cape, and a blank space. The page with the blank space also has a list of relevant information. You want to examine a page more closely. If you examine the page with the woman in the jumpsuit, skip to chapter 120. If you examine the page with the man with a cape, skip to chapter 121. If you examine the page with the blank space, skip to chapter 122. Chapter 120. You flip to the page with the woman in the jumpsuit. Her name is Alana Cutlass. You recognize the name. You're pretty sure she was a famous singer in the 70s. Her date of death is listed as unknown. You see the words suspected extraterrestrial origins. Next to that, Oberchuk has written in pen, 
confirmed, and then cross that out. Under the known weaknesses section, you see only one entry. It simply says Ego. The old man bursts into the room before you can read the next item. We have to go now! He shouts, Did you pick a team? Don't you think you should look this over too? You suggest. Every team in that cabinet was hand-selected by me to be able to handle any task. I'm sure whatever you picked will be fine. It's time to take down ice. You have time to switch this folder for one from the middle drawer, but not to look it over. If you stay with the team you originally chose, skip to chapter 124. If you swap teams, skip to chapter 123. Chapter 124. You travel through time, recruiting the team. Your first destination is the Hammersmith Odeon, a theater in London in 1973. The marquee reads, Alana Cutlass, for the last time ever. Overchuck turns to you. This was her first tour. She can be a bit dramatic, but she gets things done. You make your way backstage. Security recognizes the old man and lets you right through. When you arrive, a team of assistants are changing her makeup and costume. When she sees Overchuck, she raises an eyebrow. Overchuck nods. Gentlemen, Battlegear, she announces. The assistants lift her in the air. She stands perfectly still as they adorn her in her battle gear. An immaculate white suit and slicked back hair. She takes your hand. You know she's just doing it so she can leave with you when the time machine is activated. But you feel special. Like she's chosen you for something. She definitely has an hour about her that inspires confidence. Your next stop is the Eiffel Tower in the year 3000. It's collapsing and about to land on an ice cream shop. You hear panic shouts of Mon Dieu and La Tour from the crowd. With only seconds to spare, the man the cape flies in and lifts the tower back into place. L'homme superbe! Come the relieved cries from the crowd. The hero lands in front of Overcheck. Qu'est-ce que tu fais ici? He asks. Est maintenant. The old man answers in a semi-confident accent. D'accord. Says the hero with a nod. Oberchuk leaves to recruit the third team member by himself. He returns in an instant, and you suddenly feel very hopeless. You look at the team. Oberchuk and the superhero seem to feel the same. Um, it's with us now. The feeling. It'll be with ice when we arrive, sighs your neighbor. Let's go, I guess. Alonzi, you know, for the French. He trolls off. Alana seems to be the only one unaffected by the malaise that has suddenly gripped the group. Get it together, she chastises, forcing you all to hold hands. She looks Oberchuk dead in the eye. Do it. He warily activates the machine, plunging you back to present day. Skip to chapter 127. Chapter 127. You feel instantly better when the time machine drops you in front of Oberchuk's house. The wave of bad vibes that had engulfed the group passes to the ice team invading the home. Oh, what's the point? One of them whines inside. Okay, a lot of them will have given up right away. Frenchie, you take the house. Alana, you go to the basement to make sure the Mark One is secure. We'll handle the cleanup, Oberchuck commands. Alana nods and runs for the basement door. Quoi? Says the superhero blankly. Oh, allez maison, allez, allez says Oberchuk, gesturing toward the house. With that, the Parisian powerhouse plows through the front door. You enter the house to find all the ice agents tied up, back to back, in a circle. They wear mysterious stone armor, but it was no match against your superpowered friend. Oh, très bon, mon ami, exclaims Oberchuk. 
Bet you'll think twice about trying to take my property, eh? Alana strides confidently into the room, followed by two more ICE agents. She waits a second. What do we say? She reminds them. We're sorry, Mr. Overchuck. They recite roughly in unison. Sorry for what? She prompts. We're sorry that we ran an illegal operation in an attempt to frame you and destroy your time machine. They drone. Good boys. I knew you'd be right in the end. She says. Now go. Sit with your friends. They do. Excellent work, Miss Cutlass. Beams over Chuck. Now, which of you is the leader of this little ragtag group? Me, sir. Squeaks a small man with a goatee. Is this everyone? Asks Oberchuck. The leader does a mental head count, then nods sadly. Uh-huh, so tell me. Did I suddenly institute a policy of breaking into people's homes to destroy things? Poses Oberchuck. No, but... Starts the agent. Well, you're sort of on this list... Time travelers we can't technically bust, but would really like to, as a preemptive measure, and I just thought, uh... He stumbles. You just thought? Leads Mr. Oberchuck. I thought that if I could set you up and bring you in, it would be very good for my career. The agent confesses. Suddenly, another team bursts in. They look much less professional than the group tied up on the floor. They're in plain clothes, and they hold no weapons. The lead intruder comes in yelling, Okay, everybody, cool it. We're the FBI. This is a... He stops short when he sees Ice all tied up on the floor and a bona fide superhero standing over them. Robbery. Oberchuck looks to them. He thinks for a second. He turns to the head Ice agent. I could report to your superiors, but they probably agree with you, and frankly, I don't want to give them any ideas, suggests Oberchuck. So why do you say I give you these guys? You promise never to do anything like this again. Alright team, let's get that time machine, says the FBI agent with strained confidence. I'm not messing with a guy in a cape, says another one. A third simply runs away. Hey, how'd you get here without a time machine of your own anyway? You ask. The second one answers. Oh, our parents found a one-way portal to 1967. There wasn't much they could do then. But they knew if they waited till now, we could steal this one. Shut up, Josh! Scolds another agent. We're getting arrested anyway, what does it matter? Complains Josh. You've got a deal, says the ICE agent. Great, says Overchuck. Trenchy, untie ICE. They'll take it from here. Lum Superb looks at him blankly. Overchuck throws his hands in the air. Uh, Alana, you speak French. Tell him what to do. Alana explains the situation. The French freedom fighter nods sagely and does as told. One by one, Ice zaps the FBI off to some future prison with their metal tubes, apparently standard-issue miniaturized time machines. Before zapping off himself, the main Ice agent looks at Overchuck dead in the eye. I won't set you up again. But one day, you're going to miss something and we're going to take you down. Overchuck smiles. That's never going to happen. <laughs> I would know. I've seen the future. Skip to chapter 95. Chapter 95. You walk across the street back to your house. Overchuck takes the rest of the team home. He's back before you shut the door. Hey, thanks for the help. You know, I'm glad you're my neighbor. Who knows what would have happened if today had turned out differently, he says. I'm just glad I didn't blow up the universe, you say. I'm gonna go get some sleep. 
Oh, yes, of course, he says. I'll see you around. Yeah, see ya, you say. You shut the door and fall back on it, closing your eyes. What a crazy day. Then, your phone buzzes. There's a knock at the door. You answer the door. It's Oberchuck with a beard. Don't answer that phone, he says. It's an evil version of me from an alternate universe. Something's gone horribly wrong with the past. Look! He holds up a mirror. You see a stranger looking back at you. Oberchuck searches his pockets. We need to hurry. We have to fix this before the timeline catches up with you and you forget who you're supposed to be. Here, take this. He hands you a small purple and white pill that says Mark 8 on it. You swallow it without a second thought. When do we go first? This path ends here. To pick another path, return to chapter 1. Hi, I'm Brendan Creasy. And I'm Phil Vecchio. And we are the hosts of Radio Brendo Man on the Benview Network. We talk about all kinds of stuff on our podcast. Like what? Like toys and movies and video games and books and other stuff. Poo. Talk about poo? Definitely talk about poo. And you, if, you, if that sounds cool to you and we talk about it every week, go to RadioBrendo.com or go to our page on BenviewNetwork.com. And yeah, thanks a lot. This podcast is a part of the Benview Network. You can find this and other podcasts like it at BenviewNetwork.com.